mountaintop things that go on like joshua's long day no doubt sustained joshua in his faith to god because of what happened but the rest of joshua's life was lived not on the mountaintop experience and i think we need to learn the art of normal everyday faithfulness do you ever feel like your life is kind of like the movie groundhog's day it's the same thing over and over Well, today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that much of life isn't made of the exciting mountaintop moments. It's the daily grind. It's going to work, helping the kids and picking up yet another pair of dirty socks off the floor. But as you'll be reminded today, that's where the rubber meets the road and your faithfulness to the Lord is fostered. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 10 as he begins his message, The Southern Conquest. open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. We're going to be picking up today in Joshua 10 verse 28. Now, there's an old saying I quote all the time. It's more true every time I say it, that confession is good for the soul and it's bad for the reputation. And so I'm going to confess to you all that as I was preparing for this study, like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a bummer section of the book of Joshua, to be honest with you. You have these amazing things that go on in the book of Joshua, like where the children of Israel, they go to go over the Jordan River and it parts, you know what I mean? And then they, they have this great defeat at the battle of Jericho, you know, with, with this great victory where God moves in a powerful way. And, and then, you, of course, you have the defeat at Ai, but then you have the victory at Ai. And then, you know, and then, of course, you have what we saw just recently in the beginning of, of Joshua chapter 10, where uh, the sun stands still so that Joshua can be victorious. And you have these epic things that happen, these amazing, powerful things that go on. And then... As we move into this like last section, the first part of Joshua, beginning in the middle of chapter 10, and then going all the way through chapter 12, it's like there's nothing exciting to talk about. You know what I mean? It's like we've already hit the big stuff, and now it's like, yeah, this city got conquered, and this city got conquered, and you don't have a lot of details. And, and literally, like as a student of the word of God and as a teacher, I'm like, Lord, this is kind of lame. You know, and I found myself just kind of struggling. So I'm, I'm just confessing to you all. But as always is the case, God whispered to me something that I needed to hear that I just think you all need to hear. And that one of the biggest issues we have in life is we're always looking for the big things and most of life is lived in the little things. 
It's like when God does something totally crazy, this huge thing, it's like, yeah, God is real. But like when life is just normal, like where it's just like you go to work, you do the dishes, your car breaks down, you know what I mean? You eat too much turkey on Thanksgiving because you had 19 Thanksgivings or whatever the details are. So much of life is not lived in the epic moments. It's lived in like normal, boring life. And what the Lord Remind me, is says, Daniel, I'm as real in the normal boring things as I am in the epic things. So what are you worried about? But you know what I think is going on? We live in a, what people would call an experience economy now, right? Like where it's like everything's about the experience. Like, you know, there was a time when like we just like had a cup of coffee, you know? But now it's like you have to go to a coffee place, great earthy tones, good music, need to be able to choose like, well, I want a pour over or I want it to be this or that. And I wanted to have creme brulee, you know. And so now it's all about this experience. And even the cup can't be bland. It's got to be like a cool cup. You know what I mean? And then like the decor has got to be perfect. And it's not enough to have like a good meal. Now you have to have like the whole experience with the meal. And I'm not knocking. I like having nice experiences like the next person. But the problem is, is that when your Christian faith becomes just looking for the next experience, you actually miss out on about 95% of life in Christ. Because if you look at the life of Abraham, Abraham had some pretty huge things that happened, right? But for a guy who ended up living to be 130 years old, all those things only took up about two days of his life. The big things are two days, and then you have 130 years of ho-hum normal life. And I think what God wants for all of us is to learn how to be grateful for the experiences, those epic mountaintop things that go on. Like Joshua's long day, no doubt sustained Joshua in his faith to God because of what happened. But the rest of Joshua's life was lived not on the mountaintop experience. And I think we need to learn the art of normal, everyday faithfulness. Now, if you think about it, if we turn the tables on us wanting to have epic experiences of God, I mean, think about how often God has epic experiences of you, where you're like a spiritual giant, like where at that moment you are like David, you know, where he's going out to fight against Goliath, not because he's trained or he has any skills, but because he trusts God. I mean, like out of all of your life, how many moments are you that for God? You know, like maybe if we're lucky, if I'm lucky, maybe 1% of 1% of the time, like I'm like a trusting, like hardcore, like God can do anything. And the rest of the time, um, like a slippery fish, you know, or it's like you can't kind of pin it down. But does God ever quit on us? Ever stop loving us? Ever stop pursuing us? If maybe in all of our lives, we have just a few moments of true childlike faith He is ever faithful. And I think as God is doing a work in all of us to try and transform us to become more like him, I think the reason we have chapters of kind of ho-hum stuff is to remind us that God is faithful in the little things and we need to learn how to be also. So in some ways, I love the way the Lord works because I was pretty bummed out. Like once we got done with Joshua's long day, I'm like, maybe I'll just take the rest of the book of Joshua and like two messages. I'll just read it all to you and say nothing about it. But then God reminded me 
so much of life is in the inconsequential moments. And when you trust in the Lord and you walk in the spirit, he transforms the inconsequential moments into places of tremendous transformation and impact in worship. But how many of us right now are throwing away the inconsequential moments looking for the next epic experience when God is trying to reveal himself to you right where you are? So with that, Joshua chapter 10, picking up verse 28. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to the king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Verse 31. And then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And he encamped against it and fought against it. Verse 32. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Haram, the king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Now, you notice there's almost like a rhythm and a repetition to this. Really, this is the conquest of the lands south of where they had been. So this is the southern area of what today we would call Israel or Palestine. And it's used all these different words throughout history and time. And so what you end up with is first he takes Makeda, and then he takes Libna, and then he takes Lachish. And what we keep finding is that Joshua does exactly what he is supposed to do. Now, one of the most challenging parts of the Bible is when we see in the children of Israel entering the promised land, God's asking of them to wipe out all the inhabitants of the land. You know, and that is a very challenging part of the Bible. And I think it's so challenging that what most churches do is they don't talk about that stuff because they're like, I don't really know what to say about that. Or they try and explain it all away. But I think what you have to realize is two things. One, God's work in the children of Israel going into the promised land, hundreds of years before this happened, God told Abram that he was going to give them the promised land because the children of Israel were going to be his instruments of judgment for these people. So what you actually learn is that at some point in the all-knowing, wise, loving heart of God, at some point God's long-suffering comes to an end and then judgment comes. Now, the reason I bring this up is because When we look at this, really the children of Israel are his instruments of judgment that has been long overdue. But we also realize that at some point Jesus is going to come back when God's long suffering is over. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, he is going to separate the wheat from the chaff, what we call the day of judgment. Where those who are, you think about the idea of wheat and chaff, it's a very provocative imagery because wheat is the fruit of the grain and the chaff is the protective outer covering that has no nutritional value. 
So that the idea of the wheat and the chaff, the idea is, is what is fruitful, that's God's, and what has been unfruitful will be burned with fire. Because in that culture, when they would thresh the wheat, they would separate the wheat, the fruit, what was edible, from the outer husk that was useless. One would be ground to make food, and the other one was destroyed and used as kindling. And so when you hear something like that, you realize that Jesus saying, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. That has a much more profound ring to it when you put it in those type of ideas. So the idea is, is that God wants all of our lives to be fruitful. To bear the fruit of his spirit. Now, what goes on is that we live in a day and age, especially in the culture that we live in, where there's so much discussion about self-help. Now, listen, I'm not against self-help. I think a lot of the things that you learn in self-help, they're actually good tools, right? But the problem is, is none of the things you learn in self-help are actually the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the problem with it. So if you read a self-help book, and I'm not recommending, I think you should read the Bible, you'd be just fine. You know what I mean? But like when they talk about, you should have more gratitude, right? Like, isn't that true? Yes. But the problem is you can be the most grateful person and never give God gratitude for creating and sustaining you. So gratitude on its own is not enough. It's who's the object of your gratitude. And so what goes on is the problem with self-help is it's self-determined. When the fruit of the Spirit is God-determined. So I'm not knocking all There's some All truth is God's truth no matter where you find it. But the fruit of the Spirit is not born through self-determination. It's born through the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus. And so we all need to say, Lord, will you bear fruit in my life? Now, the reason fruit bearing, I think, is so important and why it's so challenging in this day and age is because we live in a self-centered culture. And the problem when you're bearing fruit is you're the only one who doesn't get to partake of the fruit that you bore. Like, have you ever seen a fruit tree enjoying the fruit on its tree? Like, have you ever seen like a cow being like, this is the best burger ever? No, right? That's kind of nasty when you think about it. See, fruit is born for others. Others get to partake of it. And we live in a culture where it's all about me and what I get out of it. And so we never think about, well, actually, we think about the God bearing fruit in our life is actually us getting what we want out of our lives. When actually, no, when God is bearing fruit in your life by his spirit, others are the recipients of that blessing. And so what God wants, as Jesus has not returned bodily yet, is he wants us to make sure that we are in a situation where we will bear much fruit. Because it says that the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is not because God is lazy, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So God is delaying Jesus' return because he wants everyone to come to repentance. And the way that people come to repentance is through the witness of the people of God when we bear the fruit of the Spirit. But the problem is, is if we are not saying, Lord, will you bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life, and submitting and surrendering ourselves to the Lord and the work of His Spirit, then we're not bearing that fruit. And then our lives are not the witness or the testimony that God wants it to be. And then all of a sudden, the witness of the people of God is diminished. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the day and age in which we live? So the question is, is you should say, Lord, will you search my heart And will you bear the fruit you want to bear in my life? And whatever you're going through, you start to say, Lord, 
I don't understand this or even like this, but Lord, will you bear the fruit in my life that only you can bear through this experience? And remember I told you how the drudgery of life, when we realize that Jesus is just as real in the boring things as in the epic things, when you start to pray that God, I don't, why do you got me doing this, Lord? But while I'm here, will you bear the fruit you want to bear in my life? Now all of a sudden you start to see all that God is doing in your midst, because oftentimes the fruit that God wants to bear is born not in the moment of ecstasy with God, but in the drudgery of the same old, same old. So I realized that God using the children of Israel to bring his righteous justice and judgment upon these nations is challenging. What you'll also find is that Never again in the Bible does God tell his people to do this. It's this one situation, them going into the promised land. So anytime someone's crying out, holy war, kill the infidels, it totally misses the heart of Jesus. It's one time in this one situation. And then ultimately when Jesus returns, Jesus is judge. He's the one who passed, not us. So I wanted to make sure I got some of that stuff and just kind of addressed it. Because I, and I realized that like I could do a sermon series for a year on exploring the justice of God and how God's justice worked. And I realized that it's not a simplistic topic. I always say that God, the Bible is simple but not simplistic. right? So these things are deep. And we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that they're deep. But we need to think biblically about what these things are. Now, the other side of this, of course is we continue to see Joshua being faithful to execute God's purposes and plans. And we never want to miss that, and we never want to pretend like that's like a a little thing, because I don't know about you, I kind of want to be like Joshua. I wonder if God says, this is what I want you to do. I want, if there was someone scribing out like the history of my life, that they would say, and you know, Fusco did exactly what God asked him to do. You know, and and I, I think you want that as well. That when God says, this is who I've called you to be, this is who I've recreated you in Christ to be, that if someone was actually chronicling your life, they would be writing, so-and-so, insert your name, did as the Lord instructed. And in a lot of ways, Christianity is understood by a simple word, and that's that Jesus is Lord The Lord in that culture was the master. We actually don't have an equivalent in American culture because we don't have kings. We don't have masters, right? Like we live in a culture where everyone is on the same level. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing, except for the fact that there's one relationship that everyone isn't the same, and that's Jesus and you. And so like, even like in a work environment, where you work, if your boss says, this is what I want, right? You do what they want. Or you lose your job, or you get written up, or whatever. They might not want good things or bad things, but that's their job, and their job is to be responsible for that. And sometimes when they want you to do something horrible, you say, no, I can't do that, and then you lose your job. Well, they were a terrible boss anyway, and you don't worry about that. But like when Jesus says do something, he's actually not looking for like a discussion from us. Like, well, Lord, like I think we could do it better if we do it this way. Like A lot of us think that Jesus is the Lord, but we're also his greatest advisor. Right? And like what I'm constantly learning, my friends, is Jesus doesn't need my advice. Like I have a very limited view of a lot of things, and Jesus is all knowing. He knows exactly. He knows the beginning and the end. He's always been. 
And so our job is to simply say, yes, Lord. As people have always said, that no Lord is an oxymoron. It's actually not. If if you're saying no, he's not the Lord, you are. And what's hard for us, I believe, is that our culture doesn't value submission. And so because our culture doesn't value it, we actually don't have any cultural understanding of the relationship that we're supposed to have with the Lord. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying us. I'm living in the same world, you know? And so are you submitted to Jesus as Lord? If Jesus says, this is who you are and how I want you to be, if he's the Lord, we just do that. We don't say, well, yeah, I was going to, but, you know, I just didn't feel like it or I didn't really like that idea. Right as you step in disobedience, he's not the Lord. Now, of course, it's important to say at this point that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we believe in Jesus in the first place. There's not one person other than Jesus himself who always did those things that please his father. All of us, we got issues. And that's why Jesus died and rose again. But now on the other side of the cross, and for those of you who are here who are born again, right? When you say that you are born again, you've been made alive by the spirit through the finished work of Jesus. And what that means is you are declaring him to be Lord. So let it be so. But if he's the Lord and you're not doing what he wants, then he's not the Lord, even though you're saying he's the Lord. Jesus isn't asking any of us to do anything even remotely as nasty as what he asked Joshua to do. I mean, he literally told Joshua, I want you to go into these towns and I want you to kill everybody. Men, women, children, the king, everybody. And we have this systematic, Joshua did it. He killed the king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. All the people who were in it, he let none remain. So if Joshua can have the faith in God to do this, then can't we trust the Lord to do what he's asking us to do? So Joshua does this in Makeda, and then he does it in Libna. The king is dying. All the people are dying. By the time you get to verse 31, he passed from Libna, all of Israel's with him, to Lachish. They encamp against it. They fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day. Now, I think that's fascinating because I think the other thing that we can learn from this is that in every moment of your life, there's always battles that are being fought. And some battles, like the Battle of Jericho, took seven days. The Battle of Ai first happened, they were defeated, and then they went back and were victorious. This one, it took a little time. And I think one of the things that we also struggle with is that for many of us, we want these battles to be won right away, and they take time. And the problem is, is oftentimes we get weary in the midst of the journey of the battle. I mean, you realize if God could extend the day so that Joshua couldn't defeat this coalition, then why did it have to take two days? Does God need like, I need 48 hours to get this done? Obviously, God has other purposes and plans that he's working out so that it takes a little longer. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel talked about how Jesus is Lord. He's the one in charge. But because of our culture and experiences, we have a hard time understanding what that means. You are challenged to think through if you will be like Joshua and faithfully obey the Lord. 
letting him be the one in charge of your life. Will you trust him to lead you into the places you need to go, even if it's hard and you don't like what he's asking you to do? Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about how we find ourselves in lots of different battles over the course of our lives. And if you're like most people, you probably expect them to happen the same way or in the same time frame. That's just not how things work. Pastor Daniel reminds you of the tremendous value found in patiently sticking it out, waiting for God to work things out in His way and His timing. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Conquest. Until then, may God bless.